Candice Langford, pelvic and sexual health physiotherapist, and this is The Nurture Pod. We are talking pee, poo, pleasure, pain, periods, pregnancy, postpartum, peri, and postmenopause. All the peas, all supposedly taboo, yet essential to our holistic health and well-being. We are shining a light on each and every one of these, both confidently and comfortably. Let's get curious. Did you know that up until the age of about 20, your sexuality is influenced by the context that you are in, the things that you are exposed to, the conversations that you are having, the things that you've been told to indulge and enjoy and be curious about, but also the things that you've been told to avoid at all costs. These things are influencing the foundation of an individual's sexuality. Your sexuality is how you express and experience yourself sexually in this world. So this tells us that this age group up until about 20, it is essential for us to either be in a context that is mindful of this or create a context that is mindful of this, potentially if you are a parent to a young child. But this is so difficult. It's hard to talk about sex. It's hard to know where to start, what to include, what not to include. But this is why we reach out to professionals. Today, we are going to speak to an individual that I absolutely praise, Casey Blake. She is full of insight and I'm so excited to share this episode with you and with her. But first, one of the most common questions that comes my way is how to have better and more satisfying sex. Although this is multifactorial, I so value the potential of erotic audio content to peak mind and body arousal. The audio app Guided by Glow aims to do just that. Their guided sexual meditation journeys gives you the space to slow down, relax and connect you to your senses, your creativity and of course nurture your relationship to pleasure as you drop deeply inside the feeling body. Listen until the end of today's episode for a special gift from Guided by Glow. Okay, so Casey is a registered counsellor with a special interest in sexuality, gender, trauma and parenting. Her career has focused on the emotional and psychological implications of living in a society where open, honest conversations about gender, sexuality and sexual well-being are frowned upon. She created and runs sexuality education workshops for parents and caregivers, which is now also available as an online course. So thank you so much, Casey, for being here. We are all very lucky today to hear you speak to us and share with us. Thank you, Candice. Um, okay, so so Casey, I, um, I know that you are a wealth of knowledge and I just want to ask you a question in and around uh, where I know your interest lies and how, and I know that you are just full, full of, full of um, valuable information for us. So um, we know that talking about sex is important, but all aspects of sex, that is. Um, and you are an incredible advocate for starting these conversations, particularly in our youth or for our youth, by speaking to parents and caregivers like your bias states. Um, can you share with us how we can start doing this, where to start, and also why is it important? Thank you, Candice. I think um, there's a beautiful phrase in the sexuality education field, which is early and often. Yeah. Um, so where do we start is 
harder than the win because the win is as early as possible but that freaks people out because they're like i can't talk about sexual intercourse with my children but i think we forget that sex is actually so much more than the sex acts that we eventually do yeah um and and you know if we're reducing sex to sexual intercourse we're missing out on a variety of options for pleasure so thinking about the way people interact with our bodies is a great way to start talking about sexuality stuff with youth and young children so i like to say to people that we're going to take the sex out of sex education for a while and focus on everything around you know everything that leads up to sex eventually but create some foundational conversations yeah. so um can your children name their body parts eyes nose ears anus vulva mm. um not just you know have cute names for it but but what are we doing when we do cute names and who are the cute names for yeah so just thinking about are we letting children have conversations with us about their bodies or are we keeping their bodies unspeakable mm. by not even naming them with it? Yes. I, I If I can just interject for a second there, I had a chat once yes. with Caitlin DeBeer on her podcast, and she shared this story about um, she sat down with her, with her daughter at the time, and she kind of said to her, okay, so I want to tell you something about your body, and this, shame, she, she still got, got it a little bit wrong, but she's corrected it since. She said, this is actually your vagina. It's not your it's not your it's not your flower it's not your foo-foo this is actually your vagina and the little girl said i think she was four she said oh okay so mom what's the real name for my nose then and it was just such an eye-opener because this this little girl was it, it wasn't a big deal she just found out the legit name and then it makes you makes you realize like, how on earth have i been getting it so wrong like I, why is it to one particular area of the body that i've been so um uh, I mean, I've been encouraging such la lack of insight and lack of exploration with by giving it um, an alternative name such as a flower or foo foo. So I thought that was quite a, a nice perspective to take on on education specifically about body parts. Exactly, and I think that's a beautiful example of why the discomfort around these things is laid with us, the adults. We're the ones who come with our adult lens and our adult discomforts and our adult traumas, mm. um, whether it's trauma from violation or trauma from living in a world that tells you you can't talk about these yeah. things, you're weird if you do, yeah. um, you're being inappropriate if you ask questions. That's traumatic. Um, as an experience, like I have a curiosity, no. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but I still have curiosity. Yeah. What I do with this. Yeah. So um having these conversations with children as you've just highlighted is more stressful for the adults and the kids are like okay cool moving on but that also means when they have something to speak about they can come and talk to you because you've opened up a conversation yeah. now this is whether you are their parent their primary caregiver their teacher if we don't open conversations children won't come to us mm, mm. they get a vibe over who is safe and who's going to punish them like the rest of society for having curiosities. Yeah. The other thing that's becoming really big in my world at the moment is are children able to navigate their personal space? Because as a society, we tend to have the sense of ownership over children's bodies. Oh, but their cheeks are so cute. I have to touch them. Yep. Um, 
and I'm thinking, I mean, I've recently overheard conversations at a social gathering about how parents are like loving their toddlers cute little bums, but they're running after their toddlers and, and squeezing their bums. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, but where's the, yes, it's cute and fun for you, but how do you know it's cute and fun for them too? Is there an opportunity for them to say, I don't want to play this game? And we can introduce that opportunity by saying, you've got such a cute bum. Can I pinch it? Yeah. Can I play with? No. Like just reminding ourselves and our children that they are in their bodies, yeah. not us. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I hear you, Casey. And um, I've definitely seen it, seen it too. And it's also the context in which it's in, you know, like, Yes, doing that at home uh, on your own with just you and your family, maybe that's appropriate. Maybe that's a little bit more, a little bit more appropriate, not necessarily appropriate, especially if the child doesn't consent. But in a social area, how is that being perceived by the people around you? And what does that teach the child about any, if it's okay for, for the mum, for example, to do it in front of all these other strangers, is the child going to see it as a problem if a stranger comes up and says, oh, you've got a cute little bum, can I pinch it? Um, which should be absolutely no. Um, but we need to see how it's being perceived by the child, which is often, I think, I think Casey, quite an innocent um, thing from the from the parents' behalf. We, we know that mums aren't doing this intentionally, but that's why we're doing this. That's why we're having this specific conversation that we are having now, because we um, we need to just dive into information. We need to be exposed to information so that we can better serve ourselves and others around us. Because um, like we always say, you don't know what you don't know. So how are you going to best serve your child's upbringing and their sexuality if you are just sheltered from it all? Which has been a problem with our previous um, sexuality education isn't it we've just been so sheltered so we don't know what we don't know we're doing it wrong we things happen yeah right I mean for most of us sexuality education was fear-mongering don't do anything mm -hmm. which leaves us completely skillless still with all our curiosities and still navigating really unhealthy unsafe relational situations mm -hmm. never mind sexual situations because we're just told what not to do and how do we know what we can do? How do we know what's okay? So yeah, absolutely, parents don't, you know, play with their, I mean, I'm using language that now sounds problematic, but they don't pinch their children's bums yeah. to create a problem. Yeah. It's this cute little interaction. But if we don't talk to our children about the fact that I think your bum is really cute, can I please pinch it? Mm. How do you feel when I do that? We, we also tend to say to them, don't let anyone touch your private parts. Now we've just been touching their private parts and telling them not to let anyone touch their private parts. Mm. Mixed messages are really confusing for children. Yeah. So they have to try and figure out why are you different? Yeah. Uh, why are you allowed to do this and other people can't? And, and when can they? Yeah. Yeah. And Casey, would you say that this overlaps with, um, uh, let's say simpler things um, such as, give me a hug or let me kiss you or, you know, hug your uncle, hug your uncle hello. I don't want to mum. Hug him. I said so. You better. <laughs> Does it overlap with that? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so overlapping with that because what we're doing is we're telling children, you own your body. 
unless somebody else wants access to it. And if you don't give them access, it will hurt their feelings. Or if you don't give them access, you're going to be considered rude. So we don't think we're doing this when we're like, but come on, Candace really wants a hug. Mm. But it's also very obvious that the child doesn't, really doesn't want a hug. So why is Candace's want more important than the child's want when it's the child's body? Mm. Mm. Um, And that's where these overlaps of really confusing messages come in when we don't think about the idea of bodily autonomy and consent as a general concept. If we only think of consent in a sexual way, we have missed the bus. Once we've come to non-consensual interactions and we're only talking about consent in a sexual context we have missed the bus it's it's we have missed Mm. out on the foundations of consent yeah yeah because we've made it about a sexual thing and not a body thing totally totally and that's where you come in (laughs) (laughs) so that's how we can start conversations with young people is we can notice moments where their wants and our wants around their bodies clash. Yeah. And we can go, okay, we have to actually get to school today. So we can't have this conversation now, but you flag it, you make a comp- you make a mental note and you come back to it when you're all like chilled and not, you know, we've got to get going. There's 10 minutes and we're already late, but have a conversation about, you know, what happens in the mornings when I put your clothes on you and it's almost like a physical fight. What is that like for you? Why do you think we do this? What's going on for you? What do you think is going on for me? And have a conversation and invite their input and their perspective. Yeah. And then start going, you know, how do we navigate school mornings without me having to forcefully dress you? What could we do differently so that you get to maintain your, your body autonomy and your body integrity and where it's not a screaming match mm. and it's not a physical fight. Like, what can we do? Yeah. But come up with it together with the child. It's their body. They probably have ideas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Giving them... And if they say they don't know, they probably don't trust that you can believe that they have ideas. Oh. So it's going to take a while for them to believe that they can put their stuff on the table. Yes, that their opinion is important and it's valuable in this specific um, scenario. So Casey, uh, you mentioned before, and, and obviously with the stories that you've told so far, you kind of said that it, it's important to bring this up with children when they're young. Um, and I've heard a saying saying eight is too late um, for sex education. I'm saying that with inverted commas for those that aren't, um, that aren't watching. Um, so would you agree with this eight is too late? Or, I mean, I personally feel like it should start earlier, um, even earlier than that, but can you just kind of touch on, on that, that eight is too late vibe or when to start or what age, or is it just dependent on the child? Yes to everything, and it also depends. Okay. Um, <laughs> eight is eight is today just quite cute and catchy. Um, if we think about when puberty starts, uh, so let's let's take a step back and go. Okay, what is the point of sex education? Um, originally, it was developed as part of the curriculum to prevent uh, teenage pregnancy and STI transmission. Mm-hmm. Which means, okay, then, you know, people got lost in in fear because they were scared to provide too much information. We all understand how not knowing anything leads you much more into a dangerous situation. 
um, rather than having information does not tarnish innocence either. No. Um, so like balancing these things. So if we want children to understand how these things could happen so that they don't happen, we have to be able to say, well, this is what your body is going to go through. And if we start puberty talks before puberty starts, we are saving so much stress. Now, puberty talks aren't you're going to fall pregnant or you're going to make someone pregnant. Puberty talks are your body's going to start changing. You're going to start having different kinds of feelings. You are going to start smelling differently. You know, the smell of sweat on a four-year-old is very different to a child who's about to start puberty. Yeah. We can smell puberty starting, but their armpits, yeah. um, you know, so bringing in the odorant and all these. So like puberty is actually quite a broad conversation. Also, then when a person starts menstruating, they don't think they're dying. Yeah. They don't think they're about, like, this, the amount of people who have told me that they've held onto their vulvas trying, like, because if you if you cut yourself, we put pressure on it and the bleeding stops. Yeah. Right? So your vulva suddenly starts bleeding. You're not quite sure where the bleeding is coming from. It's a general area. Okay. You're going to hold it until it stops. And with the menstrual period, it doesn't stop for a few days. Enough. So like the fear of dying, um, just understanding all these different parts. Puberty is starting younger and younger. Yeah. So eight is probably when, when signs of puberty have already started very slight. Mm, mm. Um, and that is probably where eight is too late comes in yeah. because signs of puberty, whether it is body odor, body shape, um, pimples, um, growth, like all of these things, mm -hmm. they don't know what's going on with their body. So they don't have a reference for it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Now, what's also important is if we know what our bodies can do. So let's take reproductive function off the table for a bit and just talk about functions of bodies, right? We talk about sweat glands so that we know that they keep us cool and they help excrete um, certain waste products. Like talking about these things provides a, a way for children to understand what their body's going through and why their bodies are doing what they're doing. And then when we talk about reproduction as a, a thing that sometimes can happen, not as the focus of the puberty talk, then they also understand that if they're going to be um, in certain situations, they can understand certain risks that might come up. Yeah. Um, but also, the biggest thing is if children, coming back to the hugging and bodily autonomy, if children know what it feels like to have their boundaries respected, to even have boundaries, then they are much more likely to pick up when someone's not respecting their boundaries, yes. when someone's trying to get them to do something. Yes. Yes. And then they can, if they can't stop it in the moment, because it's never their responsibility to stop something from happening to them, they can definitely speak about it afterwards. So the chances of it happening again, like reduce greatly. Yeah. Um, and we've seen over all the studies over the last 20 years, predators don't go for children who've got information mm. because they're more likely to talk about it mm. if they've got information, yeah. which means the predation is not going to get very far. Sure. It's, uh, <laughs> so you're seeing me like dear eyed here. Um, but, 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 it just it, it makes so much sense and and i'm hoping that i'm hoping that when individuals are listening to this watching this episode that they really 
allowing curiosity to change their perspective on speaking about sex in its entirety because yes it's intimidating especially i mean you you are potentially are not to blame you may have never ever ever had a talk or ab about sex what sex is um but it's not too late <laughs> not just ages to not too late um it's, it's still not too late and if you aren't sure where where to start how to start what to speak about what the exact right term is then seek help there, there's so many people that you can speak to you might speak to someone such as casey herself and say where, where do i start what can i where can, how can i start this conversation um because it is so valuable, not just in stopping the likelihood and re and mitigating the risks of of predation, but you know allowing that child to advocate for their pleasure, reducing the likelihood of STIs down the line. Um, it it expands so broadly, um, and yes, it is as simple as starting to talk about the multifactorial aspects of sex from a young age. Like look at all look at all the things that we can achieve from just talking about stuff. Uh, and not um, kind of dousing it in, in shame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was contacted this morning by a mom who's a bit concerned about the way her child is playing. And this is a, I get this con, you know, someone's listening, they're like, oh, it was me. I, I promise you, I get this at least one or two of these messages a week. Um, because it's so common, because we don't know what's typical, we don't know what's normal. And many of us have been violated. Yeah. So when we see something happening, we see it through our own lens, mm. right? Mm. So that's the biggest thing is if you are a parent or a caregiver and, and there's young people in your care, have you managed to deal with the stuff that comes up for you um, when children are being naturally curious? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, so so Casey, it sounds like obviously that, one of the most important things that we can do is is making sure that the conversation is just there and that conversation needs to um, include anatomy, uh, boundaries. What else can we really include in this conversation when we're trying to educate our youth as parents, as caregivers, as when we're trying to educate our youth about comprehensive sexuality? What else can we kind of throw into these conversations? We can throw in how do we feel around people? Like how do we know that our relationships mm. are good for us? And by relationships, I mean friendships, families, schoolmates, mm. um, relationships that we, we are in relation with people all the time. How do we know which ones make us feel good and which ones make us feel not as good? Yeah. Yeah. What are the things that come up in us? Um, so, I've just recently finished doing a workshop for nursery school children. So I've got the examples in my mind. If your five-year-old is always the one initiating play and always the one doing the initiation, is it because that the other person is not a good initiator? In which case this dynamic works quite well. Or is it that the other person isn't interested until your child enters the room? Does your child always have to play the games that other children want, but their requests get dismissed? Um, or is your child doing the dismissing and they only play what they want? Uh -huh. These kinds of, of relationship dynamics that start in nursery school are things we can talk about because they play out in all of our relationships as we get older. Yes. Sure. That, I mean, that's definitely something that I haven't, that's a perspective I haven't heard before about, 
the importance of understanding our role in a relationship, whether that's just a partnership or with a group of people um, and how we can, because because you do, you, you'll go to a party and, and um, you can pick up the characteristics in, in children from a very young age and, um, you know, little groups and little gossips over there and that one feels like it's getting left out and that one's the, the leader of the pack. It's really, you can pick up these things from really, really young. So it's really nice to to realize that this is actually a point, a talking point for, for parents, for caregivers to to help their child mm-hmm. to potentially see like, do you always have to take that role? Do you think that Jimmy would like it if you maybe tried to do it like this? Why do you feel it's important to be the leader? Is it because you're actually underlyingly shy and you just have to be the biggest person in the room just to 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 avoid X? Amazing. I love that. I love that. I think that's so, so important um, to address those relationship dynamics because that's part of it. It's part of sexuality. And like we said in the beginning, it's not just about penis and vagina. It is so much more than that. And there are also a lot more complexities in gender identity down the line. So can we touch on that potentially? Yeah, I was just thinking, as you said, penis and vagina, I was like, yeah, we also have to acknowledge that not everyone who's going to be in partnered sex is going to have those parts mm-hmm. in the sex. So like, I mean, heteronormativity is is the idea that it is normal and therefore expected of everyone to be heterosexual mm-hmm. and, you know, straight. And I was thinking about the different ways this pops up um, throughout my life as a young person. Uh, people never asked me if I had a girlfriend. They only asked me if I had a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. They made an assumption about my sexuality and excluded possibilities unintentionally. They weren't like, Hey, are you like, what are you? What can I ask? But just like when you're asking people, if they've got partners, ask for partners, ask if there's anyone they're interested in, let them gender and orient themselves. Um, Because heteronormativity is so pervasive, they might perform heteronormativity for you anyway regardless of their sexual orientation um the all the books i read in school for english not a single one of them had a relationship that was not heterosexual true very true um unless they were best friends and when you read Um, that book now again you're like hmm (laughs) was it a best friend or was it (laughs) right and how come in all these this the same literature, there's no friendships between multiple genders. Mm. That, that That's part of heteronormativity is this idea that people of different genders can't be friends because there's always a sexual undertone. Sure. Um, I've got friends of multiple genders, very close friends. Um, I want to say intimate friends because I get very like emotionally intimate with my friends. Um, and they're just, you know, still my friends. Yeah. Um, and that's the reality that we need to prepare our children for isn't it that it's not going to look like um what's that movie the mean girls whatever it's not going to look like that it's not especially now it's no longer realistic you know we are a lot more open to um to whatever anyone's preferences are and we're trying to encourage more and more of that so no your life's not going to look like that movie in any way shape or form um um yeah and movies are not realistic let's you know if we don't i mean going further down the line if we if we're looking at media without these conversations our our sex experience and our sexual education 
comes from the media that we consume, how we think about relationships, how we think it's appropriate to ask people out or get their attention, um, the whole uh, wear them down until they say yes uh. after they've said no multiple times. That's a media thing that keeps going, right? Yeah. yeah. Like these are the, like there's lots that we learn from the media. So as a parent, as a caregiver, if you you know watch a little bit of media with your kids, you will learn so much about how they see relationships in the world by asking them to explain the plot to you. Yeah, and maybe it it might help you understand. Because the media we were exposed to might be different to what they were exposed to. And it might, might also help you understand as a parent why your child is acting in a certain way. And you might think, oh, I don't know where this came from, you know. Oh, it came from that. I just watched that episode with them and I'm realizing that it's actually not, not such a great influence on their relationship dynamics that they've got within the family. Um, yeah, so we need to see what we're exposing ourselves to check that with what our children are exposed to and help to bring them back to reality. Uh, and once again, these things can yeah. be super uncomfortable for everyone, but it is, the, this is why this is here. We need to make sure we are as informed as possible because it's not going to go away. It's not going to disappear. We, it, you know, gender diversity is there no matter how much you might potentially try and ignore it or hide away from it or shelter yourself from it. Or, or you might find that a certain context or community is doing such a thing, um, it's not going anywhere. And we'd rather be as best pre prepared um, as we possibly can be, as, as well as making sure that our children are best prepared to be their best selves in these scenarios. Mm. Yeah. I mean, as like a, a last kind of idea towards the heteronormativity and the gender identity, and they are linked um, because heteronormativity relies on cisgender assumptions as well. Um, and cisgender is that your experienced gender matches the assigned gender based on your genitals. Yeah. Um, but if you are not cisgender and if you are not straight, because heteronormity is so pervasive, you feel like you're abnormal. Mm. You feel like you have to tell people that what they expect of you is not your reality. So when we can create conversational realities that include all possibilities, for orientations and gender identity we got a visitor then we can <laughs> we do have a visitor who doesn't want to cuddle at the moment <laughs> he's out of reach um for those of you who can't see I, my dog is now under my hands i can stay having a good listen um, yeah that's that's part of you know just checking are we cutting off possibilities that they have to then come out with yeah so, you know, um, do we limit our children's abilities for interests based on what we think is appropriate for different genders? That's us. We have to figure that out. Mm -hmm. um, because if your child wants to do ballet or rock climbing or um, the thing with the, the paint, paintball um, <laughs> or like um, all the different, like there's so many air rifle sports, like Olympic level air rifle sports. Those are not necessarily gender specific. But if you let your child not do it because it's a gendered thing, mm. what are you saying? Yeah. 
because that interest is there. Yeah. You're not going to get rid of their interest by blocking the opportunity. And how's that going to extend down their life? So are they going to now change what they choose to study, where they choose to work, where they choose to travel, who they choose to become friends with? Because that's that's what boys do, but not not what girls do. You know, um, we need to see how that extends, yeah. and we're setting a foundation for experimentation down um, down the lines. Sure, Casey, this has been incredibly valuable for, for me and I'm sure for the listeners and watchers um, of today's episode. Um, it, it sounds like if I were to kind of bring it, like tie it all together, it sounds like exposure is, is an underlying rule. We need to expose ourselves as parents or caregivers, as well as our children, to as much as possible, especially we know like under the age of 20, we need to make sure that these children are, are getting exposure to diverse um, scenarios, context, information, so that they can then interpret it and, and um, carry it through their lives. But it sounds like exposure to anatomy, conversations, relationship dynamics, um, what gender is, what you, how you see yourself in a situation, um, is what we can make sure that we're consistently doing to bring in a comprehensive comprehensive sex education is there anything else or was there any like a take-home message that you feel would be valuable for for people that are listening i mean added to that other than the anatomy and function exposure is already happening we have to have conversations about what is already being consumed and what we're already being exposed to yes um so we don't even have to put the work in for like, I have to find the right content, right? And and there's amazing Instagram pages like the Vulva Gallery, like Sex Positive Families. Mm. There are amazing sources for this kind of contact, amaze.org, mm. Amaze Junior. They've got video content that you can watch with your kids for these kinds of things. Sure. But outside of the official content, they're being exposed to this all the time. How do you help them think about what they're exposed to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I love And that. if they have any questions, you don't have to have the answer. You can ask them what they think first. Yeah. So my favorite thing, and I'm surprised I haven't said it yet. I know me too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At least the people yeah, that waited till the end will get the gym. <laughs> <laughs> when they do have questions, what do you think? is your first answer mm. because then you find out what they're thinking about and the context because questions can be so ambiguous and because we're prepping for a certain answer we've got our answer lined up and that might not be anything like they're interested in yeah yeah i love it i love um, it i can't believe you haven't brought it up uh, <laughs> so mom where do babies come from what do you think how does this work? What do you think? What is that tampon thing over there? What do you What do you think? See where their knowledge is at, and then see if you can expand on that or correct it, and see why it is uh, uh, where it is. Um, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Casey. Um, so I know that you have got amazing, lots of amazing things going on simultaneously. So can you just ch share with us how? People might learn from you more. How they can engage with you more. Where Where can they just, you know? indulge in more of your information um, so they can best um, parent, teach, educate, etc. Human. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I run a series of workshops which are online because you're getting people from around the country so it's quite nice um, and also if you're overseas people yeah. you're welcome if, you're, if your time zone lines up and even if it doesn't and you're a midnight owl, amazing. Um, 
So those are over four days. Um, the first three days are content workshops. So that's, that workshops are three hours long. So you're going to get 12 hours of KC content. Um, the first three are more content based where we do everything that I think you need for foundational stuff and it's all tools based. Yeah. So what is the information you need and how do you have the conversations? Because most of us didn't have the information. Yeah. So I'm providing the sex ed we never got. Um, and then how do you have these conversations age appropriately? And then the fourth one is now that you've got all the content, you've been doing these conversations for three months now, what's going on? How can we help? Sure. Um, so you say for three months, these workshops, you said for three months, so it's one workshop a month. Okay. Um, so you've got a whole month to practice talking about bodies and puberty and gender. That's what we cover mostly in the first workshop. Sure. And in the second workshop, we talk about boundaries, safety, feeling comfortable, secrets, surprises, um, all those foundational elements. Mm -hmm. And you have the second month to incorporate bodies and boundaries into your conversations. The third workshop is relationships, sexual orientation, sex. How do we have these conversations? Um, all in age appropriate ways. And then the fourth month is a consolidation feedback. This is where I was getting stuck. Um, so it's much more participant driven than me driven. Okay. Um, but I've been getting feedback for the last three years that people haven't had enough time. So I finally added a fourth workshop okay. from 2022. Okay, amazing, amazing. So Casey, are these recorded for people to watch in their own time and then um, kind of maybe do a frequently asked questions for that fourth session? Or is there, is there a way that people can do this that are potentially, you know, seven hours behind, eight hours, 10, 12? Uh, is there a way that they can engage? Yes and no. Uh, yes the they, there is an online course which is pre-recorded it is all the content that i put into these workshops it's a nine hour is it nine hours it feels it's probably around six to nine hours oh, i think amazing. of content on the online course which is um available the workshops are live so we talk about your struggles why are you uncomfortable mm. um so that's three hours at a time once a month um for those of you who can um and and what's really cool is because the live workshops have a maximum of five participants it's nice and intimate mm -hmm. but that means there's five people in the room who have been struggling with this thing at the same time what i also do is i run these groups in age specific things so if you've got toddlers or nursery school kids it's a group for parents of that age group amazing because the conversations will be different for junior primary schools, yeah. schoolers, and the conversation will be different for high schoolers. So even if you haven't started by eight, I've got a workshop for up to 11 to 14 year olds. And like, that's the age group, but I've had parents of 16 and 18 year olds come to that group because all the, the that's all the conversations you need are there. Yeah, yeah. So we do it, I run each age group once a year and it's for the, the adults, the parents, the caregivers and they can take it home and incorporate. Divine, that sounds incredibly valuable and I'm sure a lot of people will be very eager to find out more. So where exactly can people find all of this information from you? Cool, so I've got a website, toolsforhavingthetalks.co.za. Uh, Instagram is toolsforhavingthetalks. Facebook is toolsforhavingthetalks. Um, and if you're interested in the counseling service I offer, Facebook also has What Now Counseling. Okay. Um, and there's also 
that website, which is whatnowcounseling.coza. Amazing. All of these will be linked in the show notes just in case anyone is furiously taking notes of trying to keep up with what we're saying. Um, amazing. Thank you so much, Casey. You've been so generous with your insights on this specific topic. We are, we've all learned, and I'm speaking for myself and everyone else, um, we've all learned uh, copious amounts from you, and I'm sure we will continue to learn by engaging in your social media platforms and on your um, online courses and webinars. So thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate your precious, precious time. Thank you, Candice, for having me. Absolute pleasure. Well, NurturePod listeners, until next time, please review and subscribe. And as always, stay curious. As a special treat for listening to today's episode, you can head over to the nurturepelvichealth.com website and use the code NurturePod for 20% discount on all pelvic and sexual health courses. And now, let's indulge in a gift from Guided by Glow, whose mission it is to create a transformational practice of awakening your sensual feeling body, igniting your imagination, and cultivating a positive and thriving sexual relationship with yourself. Try today and take $20 off your annual membership using promo code NURTURE. Go to guidedbyglow.com or find it in the app store.